It's a joy to worship with you this morning. We're going to be talking a little bit about worship and uh, uh, specifically as we talk about uh, a specific wild woman of summer. We keep traveling through a series on uh, women from Scripture who have brokenness as a part of their reality and we are looking at what we can learn from them. Often is more uh, uh, powerful to connect with someone who has struggles and pain in their life rather than trying to identify with someone who's kind of perfect, so to speak. So we've been traveling through Scripture and looking at uh, honest, honest, broken people, and specifically looking at women, our sisters, who we can learn from. And this morning, we're going to be learning from a woman named uh, Mikel. Uh, we're going with Mikel because uh, the, the Hebrew is kind of confusing to pronounce and whatnot, but Mikel. And if you have your Bibles open, we're going to get to it eventually, but I've got to give you a lot of backstory first. We're going to be looking briefly at Second uh, Samuel chapter 6, so you can put a, a finger there. We're going to get to that a little bit later in the sermon. If you need Bibles, there are Bibles on the back tables for you. But let's start talking about Mikael. Mikael is a really fascinating woman. I've got to be honest with you. The more time that I spent uh, studying her, learning about her, whoa, the more heavy my heart began to be. The more brokenness was evident in her life and what she has endured and what she had to go through. And we can, we, it's, it's, it's worth looking at. But first, to understand her and, and the depths of her brokenness, we got to take the big picture. So we're going to back up some. I'm going to give you some context. There was a point in time in history where God came to, to his people, Israel. Israel is his people. And he comes to this people called Israel. And at that time, they were slaves in Egypt. And God says, I'm going to deliver you from Egypt. Have you seen like the Prince of Egypt or God's Exodus and Kings? Yeah, yeah, come ahead, right? So you know what I'm talking about. Charlton Heston had the big, um, you know, walk through the Red Sea kind of moment, right? And so there are all these famous movies trying to capture how God begins this process of delivering his people. And he delivers people from Egypt, and they head into this barren land to wander for 40 years. They spend 40 years wandering in the desert. And as they're wandering along, God says, look, I'm going to bring you to a place. It's going to take a while, but we're going to get there. I'm going to bring you to a place. I promise you land. And I'm going to bring you to this promised land where you are going to live where you're going to have your own space, your own kingdom, your own, where you can truly be at home. I'm going to bring you to this place. And it took them a while. They wandered around the wilderness. And as they were wandering around the wilderness, looking and trusting in this promised land, God says, you know what? I'm going to wander with you. And so he says, I want you to build me something. I want you to make something. And it's, it's going to be called an ark. How many of you have ever heard of Raiders of the Last Ark? And you see that movie? Yeah, I was like, yeah, I know that one. Indiana Jones, right? They're the same ark. The Israelites make an ark. It's basically a portable shrine. It's this portable shrine that God says, make this for me. Because wherever this shrine goes, my presence, my power, I am going to attach myself to this ark. Wherever the shrine goes, my presence and my power go also. So while you're wandering around in this wilderness, I'm going to be with you. Carry the ark and, and celebrate and dance and make the most of the ark is going to be where, that place, that center of worship, and I'm going to be with you as you wander in the desert. So they wander in the desert. 
40 years. And eventually they land on the doorstep of the promised land. It's this big moment. They cross over into the promised land, but they find there are other people already living there. Whoops. <laughs> Should have thought about that one. There are all these other people there already. And God says, look, these are people who I am going to deliver into your hands, is the way Scripture describes it. You're going to conquer this land. And so Israel starts to go to war with these tribes that are inhabiting the land. The ark goes forward, traveling with them, and they're at war. Israel's at war with all these various tribes. And uh, um, it's this, this big moment where actually it's this, I don't know how you do this, but somehow the Israelites, while they're having war with these, these Philistines particularly, there was a big tribe there, they were called the Philistines, they lose a battle and they brought the ark with them. So they not only lose the battle, they also lose the... Yeah, they lose it. The bad guys got it. Not good, right? So they lose it to the Philistines. Well, all of a sudden, the Philistines are like, ah, we got your ark. Your God's not so cool, is he? And then, like, a lot of bad stuff starts happening to them. Wherever the ark goes, like, bad stuff follows because it's not their God. And they're like, this thing is, like, so dangerous. We, we got to get, get rid of this thing. Send it back. Send it back. So they actually send it back on a cart with this, with this oxen, and it, the ark ends up in this obscure village in Israel, hanging out. It's just, it wanders to this obscure village with this one particular house, and the ark of the covenant, where God says, my presence and power, this is where you will worship me, is in front of this ark, this is where I dwell, ends up in Israel at this obscure farm off in the boonies. You with me so far? All right. Because here is where Mikkel's story begins. The ark is off, uh, off at a farm, and uh, the Israelites are looking around. They're warring with all these nations. They've lost the ark, and they said, you know what we need? We need a king. We need a king. Because everybody, all the other people, they've got kings. God says, I'm your king. What's the big deal? And they say, no, we want a, real, we want a human king. God's like, you you sure? They're, yeah, we want a human king. They're going to they're gonna solve our problems. A human king, they're gonna be, we're going to be strong. We're going to be able to fight these people. Okay, all right. So he gives them a human king. The king's name is Saul. Saul has a daughter. The daughter's name is Michal. Saul's daughter is Michal. Wow, so Saul is, is warring against all these tribes. He's trying to build up this little kingdom of Israel in this land that God said he's going to deliver to them. And they're warring with all these, these, these tribes. And uh, Saul's general is a stud. I mean, this is one hunk of a man, right? The Bible describes him as good look, ruddy and good looking. Not only is he a top-tier general, I mean, warfare is like his thing. Yeah, he's also... A musician and a poet this is like every girl's dream he's a stud he's the whoa, whoa, right he's the the guys love him and he's just so cool and he wins all the battles and he's a man's man but he's also very sensitive and writes poetry and has a musical side this guy's the total package right anyone know who this guy is Anyone know his name? Pastor Bob answered at the first service. Let's see if anyone else knows who I'm talking about. Any guesses? David. This is David. 
David is this stud guy. He's a warrior poet and a musician. The total package. And, 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 and you have Mikael, Saul's daughter, looking at this handsome general. And what happens? Oh my. Sparks begin to fly. I'm going to take a lot of pictures from uh, uh, bricklayer.com. You can check it out. These are all their pictures. They're great pictures. They tell the Bible story. Uh, she sees David and swoons, falls for him, falls in love. Saul finds out. Dad finds out and says, you know what? I'm going to actually work this to my advantage. You see, the problem is that David is getting so popular, David is actually becoming a threat to Saul. Everybody loves David. Saul, not so much. The king, not so much. Everybody loves the general. So Saul says, look, David, I'll let you marry Michal. I'll let you marry one of my daughters if you go and kill a hundred Philistines. You go off, you kill a hundred Philistines, that'll prove you're a man's man and you're worthy of my daughter. This is supposed to be an impossible task. I mean, it's very clear in Scripture. Saul's trying to get rid of David. You can marry my daughter. You just have to take on a hundred people one-handed and kill them all. This is supposed to be one of the ways Saul gets rid of David. Well, guess what happens? David goes out. He says, yes, let's make it happen. I'm going to marry your daughter. I'm going to go fight the Philistines. He goes out. He kills a hundred Philistines. Brings back what he needs to bring back. Proves it to Saul. And Saul says, rats, shucks, bummer. David, so glad to see you. Looks like you won. Here is my daughter in marriage. So Mikel gets her sweetheart, David. This is just the beginning of her problems, though. Because there's a growing tension between David and Saul. David just did the impossible task that Saul said was going to get rid of him. But David accomplished it. Everybody loves David. He's just the, the fanfare around David is huge. So this tension between David and Saul grows so much so that Saul begins to openly try and kill David. They're like hanging out. David's singing a song. Saul looks over there. He's so angry. He's so red with envy. He grabs this spear that's hanging on the wall, ornamental spear, and just whoosh, whips it at David. David survives, ducks. (laughs) And this is just the first time. Because then Saul continues to try and kill David. David, he's so angry, he's so bitter and and envious with with what David has that Saul begins to repeatedly try and kill David. How do you think Mikael feels about this? Hey, honey, how was your day at work? Oh, fine, Dad tried to kill me again, but yeah, I made it, no big deal. Got the spear. Right? Can you begin to see the tension that's in their household and in their relationships? Her father, the king, is trying to kill her husband, David, the general. It gets so bad that she actually hears wind of a plot to kill David. She hears that Saul, her father, her own father is trying to kill her husband, and so she takes an act to to deliver and protect David, her husband, and, and drops him out a window. To protect him. 
Saul confronts her on it, saying, why did you let David go? What were you thinking? I need to kill him. And she's caught in the middle of this, right? Her father, who she loves, her husband, who she loves. This is your, this is, how many of you have heard of triangulation? You heard of triangulation before? This is biblical, Old Old Testament triangulation. Husband and father can't get along, and Mikael is caught in the middle. Father confronts her. He's furious. Her husband is on the run. Essentially speaking, what, what happens is that Saul begins to hunt David. David is an outcast. David is thrown out. He's a rebel. That is Saul thinks he tried to throw a coup, and so he's labeled as this rebel criminal, David. And, 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 and it gets even worse. Not only is her husband an outlaw and a rebel, and her, her father is growing in what seems to be kind of the borderline of insanity. He's, he's just so crazy about killing David. Not only is this a problem, but Saul looks at Michal, his own daughter, and sees her as a political threat. Why? Because she's married to David. You see, David was smart. David married Michal, and in doing so, he took one step closer to the throne itself. Saul sees that and realizes that. And so in order to deal with the political threat of his own daughter, he takes his daughter, kicks her out of the city, and sends her to a farm, a back, back village, hidden in the boonies, kind of like the ark, hidden in the boonies, and marries her illegally to another man. Says, this is your new husband. Stay away from the city. He sticks her, just like that, away from influence and power and where she could be connected or have connection with David. And in the meantime, it gets worse. Poor, man, Mikkel, she just can't catch a break. It gets worse. David, this is going on for a period of years. David is growing. David is maturing. He's still being hunted, but he's still fighting the Philistines. He's got a lot going on in his life, including the fact that he ends up marrying again. In that culture, you could have multiple wives. David does, and he has children, and he builds a whole family. David builds a whole family away from Michal. This is tough. This is brokenness. This is messed up relationships. Eventually, Michal's father, Saul, dies. He dies in a battle with the Philistines. He's fighting the Philistines, and he dies. This is David's big moment now. David, the general that all of Israel seems to love, this outlawed general, steps up and takes the throne. Cement, he's trying to cement his power and hold over Israel. In order to do that, he shows up to what remains of Saul's armies and says, Look, I'm going to be king now, and I want Michal back. He needs her for political reasons, if nothing alone, nothing else. 
He, he needs Mikael in order to secure the allegiance of the northern half of the kingdom. She's from the north. Saul, her father, is from the north. David is from the south. So to bring the kingdom together, to unite the kingdom, to solidify his power, to connect himself to the previous king and make sure, without a question, David is king, he comes to the general and says, I demand, go and get Mikael. Mikkel is literally escorted away from her home and into David's harem. She is literally walked away from the life that she's now built with another man, another home, another life, and put into David's harem. Take a moment. <laughs> Think about Mikael's past. She has been a political pawn. She has been manipulated. Her husband has been declared an outlaw who's fighting her own father who's on the borderline of insanity. She's been triangulated. Her husband, she had to help him escape all those years ago. Now he's been on the run. He's built a whole other life and family away from her. Oh, and now that he's back, in order to be king, she gets ripped out of her life that she's tried to build and thrust into another situation with David's harem. You want to talk about a wild woman who's got brokenness, part of her life. Poor Mikael. Poor Mikael. I mean, can you imagine? I don't want to put words in her mouth, so to speak, but can you imagine what she's feeling over all those years? I mean, can you imagine what she's, she's given what she has experienced? Can you imagine the emotions, the thoughts rolling around in her head. She's put back in David's harem. She's at least back in the city of Jerusalem, which is the new capital. The final step in David's consolidating power is not only to get Mikael, it's to get one more thing of huge importance. He needs to go and find the ark. That's correct got to go find the ark so that it's not only a political but a religious reality so he goes and he finds the ark it's out in this village goes he gets the ark and he brings it back to jerusalem this is one of the best moments in israel's history this is one of the best moments in all of, of god's people's experience where it seems like for the very first time for the very first time God's promise has so abundantly come true. For the first time, there's the nation of Israel. We have a strong king. We have a promised land. God himself is dwelling with his people. The Ark of the Covenant is, is present there. God has come to Israel in the promised land. This is huge. This, this promise that started so long ago, that God's overarching work has been about. Since, since that beginning where God said, I'm going to bring you and make you a nation, he's been traveling through this whole period of time in which Mikhail's reality is just this little blip 
And yet this is the moment where it's truly finally coming to, it's coming to happen. It's, it's, it's taking place. And so it's not a surprise that they throw a party. I mean, this is worthy of worship. This is exciting. This is, you are free to worship and sing and dance and have abandon with your life in a way that honors God because you can, this is high fives. This is, let the music go. This is one of the biggest moments in all of history where God's plan is coming to fruition. Start dancing. Celebrate what God has been doing and brought to completion. Celebrate what God is up to. And yet, there's Mikael in the harem. And she looks out the window, and what does she see? She sees the festivities. She sees the dancing. She sees David literally dancing in front of the Ark of the Covenant, leading the way. David, this is so fascinating. David starts by dancing with a, uh, a priestly robe. He starts with a priestly robe on, a linen ephod at that time, kind of identifying himself as a priest. Fascinating. Identifying himself as a priest. So he's not only king, but he's also priest. And then he has, he has this moment where he actually strips it off, and he's, uh, he's dancing in nothing but a loincloth. He's so filled with exuberance and excitement at what God is doing, abandoned in the way in which he worships, that he, he doesn't care what he's wearing. He's, he's flying free, man. Mikkel looks out, and she sees the festivities and the dancing. And Scripture says in 2 Samuel that she despised David in her heart. The man that she once loved, who's caused so much turmoil in her life, in an honest way, she now can't stand. She sees him dancing in this loincloth. I mean, the guy's, you know, doing the Allendales dance with all the young ladies out there, all the maidens, right? I mean, she's furious. She's absolutely furious as she looks on from the window. David comes home. And she confronts him. She runs out to him and says, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. Oh, David, looking sharp in that loincloth, honey. Dancing around. What she does is she fixates her attention not on the celebration, not on what God is doing, not on the events of the day and the beauty of this overarching story, but she is so consumed, she gives all of her attention to David. David, you're the king now. How can you do that? You can't dance like that. You can't worship like that. She's so consumed with David, she cannot see the beauty and the opportunity in front of her. Fortunately, David pipes up. He has something to say. David says, Honey, whoa! It was before the Lord. 
What I was doing, this celebration is about God. This was before the Lord that I'm dancing. The Lord who chose me rather than your father or anyone from his house, and he pointed me as prince. Notice prince, not king. Why? God is king. David, David is prince. Ooh, interesting. Circle that if you have that in your scriptures. He's appointed me prince over the Lord's people. This is about what God is doing. The Lord's people, Israel. So I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to celebrate and dance and have abandon and, and worship freely because of the magnitude of what God has done. I'm going to celebrate before the Lord. In fact, I'm going to even become more undignified. You think this is bad. I will become more undignified than this. I'll be humiliated in my own eyes. I don't care what other people think about me. The magnitude of what has just taken place is far more important than my reputation. What God is doing, God has done, God has accomplished is way more important. By, by these slave girls you spoke of, those I, they, they'll get it. They understand. This is about what God is doing, so they will honor me because they understand what's really taking place. Here's the deal. This is what Mikkel suffers from, and it is a warning for us. So often, we become so blinded by the layers of pain and hurt and frustration and anger and bitterness in our lives that often stem from others and our interactions with them. So much so that we miss out on the significance of of what God is up to in our lives and in our world. Too often, we allow the pain and hurt in our lives to keep us from freely experiencing the joy, the excitement, and the celebration of what God has done in our world for us to us, over us, through us. We as Christians gather every week and we have reason to celebrate. We have reason to celebrate because of what we believe Jesus Christ has accomplished. You want to talk about the overarching narrative of what God is doing in our life and in our world? Saving the world. We have reason and the freedom to celebrate with abandon and excitement the way David did because we know despite our pain and frustrations and darkness and brokenness that's a part of our lives, we have something to worship and celebrate for what God has done in our world and in our lives. This morning, Mikael's story gives us both a warning and an invitation. A warning not to allow the pain and hurt of our lives, the brokenness, to keep us from celebrating what God is doing and has done for His people. Let's pray together this morning to close. Holy and everlasting God, we see your fingerprints throughout history. As you have worked for the good of your people, you choose to dwell with your people in the ark, and 
There was that incredible moment of celebration when the ark came to the city and, and Israel was made truly Israel and had a king and you delivered them into a promised land. And that was just one piece of an even greater plan that we are a part of, of what you have accomplished in Jesus Christ. His death, his resurrection. We ask and pray that we would be free. We would know the freedom we have to celebrate abundantly what you have done in our world and continue to do in our lives. We pray against the brokenness which too often captures our attention and ask and pray instead we would be fixated on you. We ask this and pray this in Jesus, your precious name. Amen.